What happens there is we left in 13 when Paul was in Antioch in um, Galatia and he was preaching. And of course, what happened? You know what happened? Some of them believed, some of them rejected. The ones who rejected ganged up and tried to persecute and kill Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas left. That was the end of 13. We didn't we didn't actually do that part last week, but I'm just giving you the summary of the end. What we're going to see in chapter 14 is really the same thing. Uh, they're going to go to three different cities. They're going to preach just like they had been preaching. There's going to be some people that accept it, some people that reject it. They're going to gang up and try to persecute them. Uh, you're going to see the same thing happening over and over again. So what I thought I would do is I would take you through chapter 14 um, fairly quickly, but I want to do it and show you the the attributes of a witness for Christ. Uh, what you and I are going to be, you know, we're called to be witnesses. Every, every one of us is a witness. If you're born again, you are a witness for Christ. So uh, one way or another, you know, you may not be doing a very good job at it, or you may be doing a stellar job at it, but you are a witness for Christ one way or the other. And so... What we're going to see here is I want to show you it's five of them I think I found in the in the, the chapter 14 and I'm just going to tell them to you before I start they're going to testify boldly in the face of persecution in trust in God they're going to testify boldly they're going to give glory to God instead of taking glory for themselves they're going to uh, uh, they're going to remain faithful through the trials that they go through uh, they're going to strengthen and edify the brethren and they're going to bear witness uh, to God's gracious work. Um, they're going to uh, give God the glory for His grace. They're going to say it's God's grace that has done all these things. And I'll go through them again as we get to them. But uh, did y'all read it? Is there any questions? I got to kind of feel like me giving you lectures every week is uh, either putting folks to sleep or running them off. So is there anything y'all want to say, talk about? I mean, I don't have to just sit here and lecture you. In Acts chapter 14, they're going to go to three different cities. They're going to go to Iconium, they're going to go to Lystra, and they're going to go to Derbe. And all, th all three cities, the same thing is going to happen. They're going to uh, preach, some folks are going to get saved, some folks are going to reject, and then they're going to get persecuted. And uh, this is really a... <clears throat> it's really a... A chapter that spoke to me personally on a personal level because in this chapter Paul's going to get stoned like with rocks and <clears throat> left for dead. And when he gets up from, you know, they thought he was dead. The believers are standing around him. When he gets up, it goes right back into the city. I mean, it goes right back to where they just stoned him. And then the next day he goes to the next city, starts preaching again. And so it's really, it's really instructive for me. So let me just read the first, I don't know, two or three verses and we'll see. And it came to pass in Iconium, remember, uh, we didn't read this in chapter 13, but they left the city. Paul and Barnabas dusted off their feet and said, you know what, we're going somewhere else. They go to Iconium from Antioch. It came to pass that in Iconium that they were both together in the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that the great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. The great multitude in the synagogue believed. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. What happens? You see the same thing. Some folks believe. Some folks disbelieve. And it says they stirred up the minds. What does it say? What does it say? They made their minds evil. What does that mean, you think? It, 
It turned them against not just the apostles. It says it it turned them against the brethren. Okay, but that's the Gentiles that was it turned against, or was it? Well, it was all of them. It was. See, look at verse one. It says at the end. It says they preached in the synagogue and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Greeks is the the other word for Gentiles. The Greeks believed, but it says the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. The Jews that whenever whenever usually when um, when when the New Testament writers use not always I don't want to make a generalization but a lot of times they'll say you know a multitude believed both Jew and Greek and then the Jews came and persecuted Jesus so the Jews looked at usually when it uses that phrase it's talking about the unbelieving Jews who were against the faith and not always so you really have to read it in context but really it says that they were they basically poisoned their minds to turn them against the believers not including the scribes and Pharisees that was in that synagogue the Jews. Oh, you're asking me? Probably. Probably so. I mean, I would imagine so. They were, the unbelieving Jews are not, they were the Jews that were holding to Judaism and rejecting this whole idea about a crucified Messiah and all that kind of stuff. And it says they, they were stirring these people up. The people that were, it would be like this. If I walked in and it's probably, I don't know, 25 of y'all. If I walked in and, and all y'all have never heard any of this stuff before. And I start preaching to you about Jesus. Um, you know, I have three or four over here believe. Then, then maybe Danny stands up and says, you know what? This is, uh, I've heard about this guy. He's making, he's making commotion and riots and cities over there. You know, you can't trust anything that he's saying. The, this is not the right thing. You know, they, he, was, he was poisoning the well, really. He was, he was uh, stirring up dissent in their minds, even as the gospel was was going forth they were they were turning them against uh, the brethren so what we see is that there were those that believed and they were joining the church he calls them the brethren and then there were those that were rejecting that were uh, they were they were trying to uh, they were turning people against not just Paul and Barnabas but the brethren in general they were turning them against all the church everybody in the church see what I mean makes sense and so, of course, you, you know the lesson for you. Good luck. You know you're going to preach Jesus, and what's going to happen? They, not only are they going to not only are they going to come after you, but they're going to go around you and say poison somebody's mind into thinking that you're you know whatever. You know, uh, happens all the time when. Uh, just thinking my own personal experience, you know, I can go and I'll give you a perfect example. There was a lady that. This was years and years ago. Most of y'all probably wouldn't even know her. But she she went here for a little while. And uh, I'm trying not to give you no specific deals. But <laughs> she uh, basically, basically I had to call her on the phone because of something she was vocally doing against uh, the church and the leadership and all that. I had to call her on the phone and I was very polite, very respectful. I was very, I've got a witness that was in the room with me. I had the phone on speakerphone and I was very respectful. Very Well, she went all over town saying that I screamed at her and cussed her out on the telephone. Right? And so uh, 
what that that's not exactly what was going on here but it, it when I, we talk about poisoning the mind or stirring people's minds up against you every time i saw people around that i knew knew her like i go to walmart and i see this person i say hey how you doing i could tell they're thinking in their mind well that's the guy that cussed the lady out you know what i mean so it, it's not really it's not really i was being persecuted for the gospel like they were here but it's just an example of somebody poisoning somebody's mind you know so the, immediately you know even if they're nice and cordial to you, you you know that it's going on the wheels are turning i done heard this guy ain't, you know i done heard this jesus guy ain't, you know they they were already stirring people up against the gospel and against the brethren and you can you can expect that that's going to happen but when and, that happens jason and i'm sorry to interrupt you, go ahead that happens in in your personal life you know that they speak evil against you and, and that sort of thing what are you supposed to do? Do you just walk away? I mean, do you walk away from that person? If they do it to your face? Yeah, to your face. Behind oh, yeah. Face I mean, pfft, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. All you can do is pray for them. All you can do is just pray for them and I just smile at them and turn and walk away. I've had to do it. I've had to get up out of the store before and walk away because of what people were talking. I told them, I said, I love you, but this ain't for me. I'm not going to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Walk off with a smile. Yeah. Cuss them out and slap them upside the head like the devil wanted me to. Right. But I just. Come on. Danny wanted you to, too. Danny didn't. <laughs> I, I smiled at him. Man, I love you. But I can't, I can't put up with this. And I just walked off. And that's really all you can do. So that's a life application, you know, and that's one of the biggest life applications that we as believers struggle with is when, you know, we. This is our life. This is what we love, and this is where our heart is, you know, is the gospel. And, you know, it's something that we strive to do on a daily basis is to pursue the word, to, you know, apply it to our life. And you're always going to be given roadblocks, and I understand that. But when it's with people that you care about, that's hard. Yeah. Really hard. And there's a balance, too, you know, because what we're going to see is that they preached boldly in the face of this persecution. So um, you you fight for the fight for the unbeliever. You know what I mean? If uh, just for that example that I gave you, if uh, if I thought that, you know, if I had an opportunity to present the gospel to a person that I knew had already been, you know, Warned or poisoned, mind poisoned about me or whatever. I would, I would fight to present the gospel. I wouldn't necessarily argue about whether all that was true or not. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't matter. You, you argue with somebody that's already got their mind made up. Good luck. You, I mean, you're just spinning your wheels. You, you're just making it worse. Facebook arguments never go anywhere. Debates never go anywhere. I mean, it always ends with. You know, I'm still I still believe this way and you still believe that way. But now it's all out for everybody to see on public in public. Uh, Same way with face to face. If they've already got their mind made up about who you are and what you stand for and they don't like it, they're going to find a reason. So it's just it's it's a balance. You know, there's sometimes when you can, you know, there's sometimes when when, you know, I would say. You know, I would stand my ground and whatever. And there's sometimes where I would just whatever and leave. You know, and you see the same thing here. If we would have read the last few verses of 13, Paul and Barnabas said, "Said, look, y'all reject it. We leaving. We going to the Gentiles. You know, 
You judge yourself unworthy. So we out of here. It says they dusted off the feet, their feet. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but for a Jewish person, when they would come in from a far country, if they lived in whatever or they were coming into the pilgrimage, they would make sure to dust off their feet before they stepped onto the Holy Land. They didn't want any of that that you know, uh, dirty dust. Yeah, the unclean land to get onto there. And it was, you know, of course it was just symbolic, but that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They were like, okay, we're going to knock this knock the dirty dirty unclean dust off our feet from your from your land here and we're going to move on. And so that's what they were doing. But in verse 3 after this is going on he says it, it, it almost it says but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles in verse 2 made their minds evil affected against the brethren and it says therefore verse 3 long time therefore they abode they abode they speaking boldly in the Lord which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done to them. It's almost like, well, since they since they speaking against us, we're gonna we're gonna boldly stay here longer and we're gonna preach the gospel. Now understand, they weren't arguing with them like we're talking about arguing with somebody in Walmart or somebody. They're standing boldly, and it says they're standing boldly in the Lord. What does that mean? Standing boldly in the Lord. They were they were standing their ground. They were trust, yeah, and they were trusting God. They were trusting in the Lord. They they not only did they continue to speak the gospel. Now now we're not talking about somebody says something bad against me. That's what we're talking about before. Here we're talking about preaching the gospel. We're talking about being a witness. That's what He's called you to do. That's what He called them to do. Acts one eight. You know you will be a witness. So when. They poison somebody's mind against you or they turn against you or they persecute you. You are to still be a witness. You are to still be a witness boldly. You're to still be a witness trusting in the Lord. It says they, they abode there speaking boldly in the Lord. They were trusting in Him. And so what does it look like to speak boldly in the Lord? That's not really a phrase we use much today speaking boldly in the Lord but what it's talking about is trusting it's talking about understanding I know you know I know I got this section over here that's against me and they already you know I just know these these are my enemies but I'm going to speak the gospel I'm going to be a witness to this to to these people over here boldly knowing that this is all in God's hands and he's going to do what what he does he's going to use me as an instrument of his righteousness and so Really, no matter what, the question you asked me, Jennifer, was, you know, well, what do you do? The only thing you can do is, whether it means standing your ground in a situation or turning and walking away, is to be a witness, is be a bold witness for Christ. Sometimes, like Danny said, by getting up and walking out and saying, look, this, I'm not going to, that's a witness, that's being a witness for Christ. And sometimes... Standing and saying, "Look, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Jesus. I need to tell you about that's being a witness for Christ. So it's uh, no matter what what avenue that the Lord is leading you to take in particular situations. The point is that you are a witness. You're boldly witnessing for Christ. Whether it's in your actions, your life, your words, your whatever, you're going to be you're going to be a witness for Christ in, in all things, one way or the other. That's a, that's something that we need to make sure we understand." Whether you like it or not, if you're born again, you are a witness for Christ. Now, if you act, you know, act a fool in somewhere, 
you're being a witness for Christ, you know, and it's, it, might, it might not be one he's very pleased with, but you are a witness for Christ. So you can't get around. You can't say, well, Monday I'm going to go be a witness for Christ, and then Tuesday, you know, I'm just going grocery shopping, so I'm just going to let it all hang out. You're a witness for Christ everywhere you go, at the grocery store, at the, you know, at the whatever. And so there have been times when, there have been times when I knew that, well, I believe, let's put it this way, I believed I was in the right and I was not going to back down and I was going to, but I had to, I had to, uh, I had to let it go because we were in public. You know what I mean? Somebody walk by and just see two people arguing. The first thing they think is whatever. And I'll be honest, there are some times where I didn't let it go and I did something really stupid. You know, I've had that before too. So you just have to understand that you, the, the call is to boldly be a witness in the Lord. Simple as that. Whatever that entails. And at this point, they had already left one city. They're going to leave this city as well uh, when it gets too heated. Uh, but at this point, they decided we're going to stay. We're going to speak boldly. We're going to stand our ground. And when it came time to leave, when the Lord was impressing upon them, okay, it's getting too hot around here now. You need to go to the next city. They left. And so there's a balance to be struck. Y'all with me? Okay. Uh, it's not a whole lot of us here today, so if you just say something, and we'll, we'll, we'll let's let's discuss it. I don't have to sit here and lecture you. Uh, but in verse three, it also says that as they were speaking boldly in the Lord, what was God doing? While they were speaking boldly in the Lord, it says God did something while they were t- while they were ministering over this period of time. Yeah, he. Use his power to show signs and wonders. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was testifying to the truthfulness of what they were saying, wasn't he? He was testifying with them. They were standing boldly, and he, God, granted them signs and wonders to be, you know, taking place. And you know, of course, you've seen it all through Scripture. You know what happens when the apostles, by the apostles' hand, miracles were being done. What would go on? People would be, they'd be amazed, they'd be astounded. It's a this might be something I need to listen to. And the, the, the point of it is, the point of that, you know, you read Acts and you, you just miracles, you talk about miracles and all that. But miracles are used by God for one purpose only. Um, they're used to testify to the gospel. Uh, people are, people are uh, healed by Jesus' hands all through the Gospels. People are healed by the Apostles' hands all through Acts. Uh, people are still healed today. Uh, but it's going to be always for God's glory and for the glory of His grace and the glory of His Gospel. Um, they point to something. It doesn't mean that everybody who gets healed is saved or is, you know, it, people still get healed today. You know, 25 people, God's people praying for some persons out there and, and God does something miraculous and wonderful for them. You know, they still need to trust in Jesus or, you know, you, you're going to be going to be condemned. I mean, just because God, I hear that all the time and it's really, it's really kind of scary to me. You know, you'll hear that God's working all the time. And so people will come out of surgery, like really serious surgery, not like knee surgery, but like 50, 50 chance of living surgery. And they'll come out and they'll say, well, 
I know I know God's looking out for me and I know that he's you know me and you know God God's got a purpose for me here and God's whatever and that's great and you're right I believe it God by his mercy and his grace he allowed you to still be here but you still need to trust in Jesus you can't you can't stand up before God and say well I know you was with me because I ser- you you delivered me from this trial or this surgery or you miraculously healed me or whatever I mean that's great but you still better trust in Christ it's all all about the gospel and so God was testifying as they were speaking boldly and he was allowing them he was he was testifying with them that what they were saying was true um, I think a lot of people do that they put their own requirements oh yeah <clears throat> you know they put their own expectations up there and and make their own mm-hmm. measurement of what they think God wants them to be yeah you know, absolutely a lot of people in hell because you know, just because you come through some surgery or some miraculous something happened does not mean you're saved. No, that's you know, exactly right. That's exactly what they do, what they base their faith on. Oh yeah. I've heard all kind of different things, you know, like I was in a wreck and I should have died and God delivered me so I know he must have a purpose for me and I know that I'm going to turn my life around or whatever. Hey, that's fine. All that's wonderful. And all of it could be true. It probably is true. I mean, if you survive something you're supposed to die in, it was God keeping you for sure. I mean, he's intimately involved, but the reality is that he don't you don't base he he doesn't base his fellowship with you on the fact that he works something in your life. He bases it on his son Jesus and how you have responded to the gospel. And so you can we you can hear that in all kind of different ways, you know. Uh, I had a, a lady that I, I really love. I mean, who's, you know, part of my family. One time says, "Well, I know I must be right with God because, you know, he's answered this prayer and that prayer and this prayer." I'm like, "Well, he's a good God. You still need to trust in Christ. You still need to you still need to surrender yourself to Jesus." And so it's uh you can see it all you can see it all the time. But the same thing happens in this city as happens in every other city. Verse 4 through 7 it tells us what happens. It says, "But the multitude of the city was divided. Part held with the Jews, part held with the apostles." The Jews there are the unbelieving Jews. And when there was an assault made both of Gentiles and also of the Jews where their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. What he was saying is the they made a plan, the Jews and Gentiles and the rulers of the, the Jews talking about synagogue leaders and stuff, they devised that they were going to start uh, they were going to start uh, treating the believers uh, bad and, and try to kill them. I mean he says uh, verse, where am I at? Five? To, to use them despitefully meant to treat them bad to mistreat them and to stone them would be to kill them to st- mistreat them and execute them and when they heard of it when Paul and Barnabas heard of it w- uh, they fled to Lystra and Derby cities of Lyconia and unto the region that lieth round about and there they preached the gospel so there did come a time when all right, it's getting hot now. They the, the city's divided, and they're all against each other. And now they're coming after us, and they're mistreating the brethren, and they're mistreating uh, all the Christians, and they're seeking to stone them. Paul and Barnabas says, "All right, it's it's getting a little too heated. We leaving. We going to Lystra." Now, what you need to understand is we're going to see as we as we get further down in chapter 14, they're going to come back to Iconium and there's going to be a church there. So they're not just abandoning the city saying, well, it's getting hot out here. We're going, we're going somewhere else. They left the city knowing that 
they were the ones causing the dissension. So what I'm saying is there came a time when they realized that it's better for the church for us to go. It's better for the gospel for us to get out of Dodge and just leave the, the church there to be a witness, to be a minister. When they come back through the city here at the end of chapter 14, you're going to see that there were disciples and elders and all that there in the city. So they had established a church there. There were believers there. They weren't just abandoning the city like they did before in Antioch when they said, we're just going to dust the feet off and we're going to go. Uh, they were leaving uh, an established church full of believers there. Does that make sense? But there was a time when they when they realized, hey, it's better for God's people. It's better for God's gospel if I just go. If I just like like Danny said, get up and leave the room. You know, get up and go. And what we're going to see next, and I'm going to try to speed up. Maybe I won't just read through every single verse, but in the next section uh, in Lystra, what we're going to see is the healing of a lame man. And when this lame man is healed, the people all come up and they say. Well, you guys must be gods. You must be Zeus and Hermes. You know, you must be Jupiter and and what's the Roman god? Apollos. What is it? Curious. Let's just read it. And there, it's on the next page for me, so I'm not even looking at it. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet. He couldn't walk, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, Paul looked at him, and he perceived that he had faith to be healed. Okay, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down in the likeness of men. Now, this, uh, this, this begs some questions here. The word healed there, he had faith to be healed, is the same word that is translated saved in a lot of places. Sozo is the, is the word in Greek. And it's used a lot of different ways, delivered, uh, you know, it to make, make whole. You know, when Jesus says, will thou be made whole? He's asking that question. And so uh, it, it, is, it is rightly translated, be healed in lots of places, be made whole in lots of places, be saved in lots of places. Uh, the question here is, the question here is, does everybody have to have faith in order to be healed? I think so. So God doesn't heal anybody that doesn't have faith. I think he does, but I think it's because somebody else had faith in God and they were praying. It's like an intercessory prayer. Maybe so. Maybe so. Absolutely. So Paul's preaching. He's standing up preaching. What's he preaching about, you think? Gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And this man is sitting lame at the gate and he's listening to Paul. What do you think he's hearing? He's hearing the gospel. And so what do you think his faith is in? You think he's believing you know, this guy right here can make my legs work. Now I think he's, he's getting exactly what we... Yeah, he's hearing Paul preach the gospel. He's hearing Paul preach about Jesus. He's, he, he, a faith rises up in him. Uh, a belief rises up in him. And Paul recognizes it. Now, I don't know if it's supernatural where God shows Paul, you know, this guy. Or Paul just sees his face and says, hey, I, this guy right here is listening. When you're up there preaching, can you tell if someone out in the congregation is being convicted? Yes, ma'am. Enough said. Okay. All right. I'm sure he could. And what he does is he fixes his gaze on this man in the midst of his sermon. And he goes over to him. And uh, have we read that yet? 
He says, and Paul said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lyconia. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas don't speak Lyconian, so they, they don't know what they're saying at this point. The gods are come down in to us in the likeness of men. That always makes me wonder, and we could talk about it. I don't, Paul must not have been preaching very good, or they must not have believed him, or they must not have... How could you be preaching the gospel... Heal this guy, and the effect of his preaching is they said, well, these guys are gods. You know, they must not have accepted his word yet, or they must not have understood fully what he was trying to say, or whatever. There's a, um, in this region, in Lyconia, there's a, there's a, 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 a poet named Ovid who wrote this thing about, about Zeus and, and, and uh, Hermes coming to you know, come into the region and they went from house to house and they, you know, would look like men. And this is just a, a poem. It's not real. This is just, you know, a myth. And, and the, the story is they came from house to house and nobody would let him in. Nobody would be hospitable to him. And then there was this one couple, Philemon and Bacchus were, were their names. And they took these two, I mean, they're fake gods, not real gods, but in the story, they took them in and they, you know, fed them and treated them good. And so in exchange for that, you know, because we're Reward them for that. Uh, Zeus and and and, uh, and Hermes made them, you know, a big turn their shack into a big temple and wiped out everybody else and all that kind of stuff. And so these these fables, these 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 little tales, these stories might be running through their minds as they realize there's some power here. This guy's raised from his, you know, they knew the guy. He's lame, crippled from the very beginning. They see him able to walk, see him able to, and they, and all of a sudden their first thought is, oh, the God have come down. And so it says, it says, uh, when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, oh, I said that in verse 12, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, which is the Jupiter and Mercury are the Roman gods. Zeus and, and uh, Hermes are the Greek gods. They're the same gods. Uh, he called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. Mercury was the the, the speaker for the gods. He was the, you know, the, the spokesman and Zeus was like the elder statesman. And the, the big head god, you know. And so it always made me wonder why Barnabas, they called him Zeus, because he was, I guess he just looked more distinguished or whatever. And Paul did all the talking. And so then the priests of Jupiter, when uh, which was before their city, brought oxen and God. I mean, they're into this thing. They're fixing to start sacrificing to them, thinking that they're gods. And he and would have done sacrifice with the people. And now the, the apostles who don't speak Lyconian, Koine Greek was the common language. Every, if you did business or anything. You had to speak this language. It was all across the Roman Empire. And so they were speaking in Lyconians and oh, these guys are gods. Well, they didn't really understand them and all this is going on. The commotion is going on. I can see this is just my imagination, but I can see Paul and Barnabas like, wow, what, what's all this going on? Where are they going? What is this? And they, you know, getting all this done and then they bring these oxen and stuff out. They, they start getting ready to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas and when they realize what's going on, it says... It says, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you why do you these things? We are also men of like passions with you and preaching to you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Vanities is like vain things. 
So basically what Paul and Barnabas are doing right there, they're saying, look, this is worthless stuff y'all are doing. We're telling you, you need to turn away from all this stuff. We're, we're telling you not to, not to be sacrificing these fake gods anymore. It doesn't really say, but evidently they, they've probably been here for a, a little while. I mean, it doesn't tell us a matter of days, a matter of weeks, not really sure. And what are they, did the Lyconians speak Greek too? Yes, everybody spoke Greek. They're saying, yes. I can't yes. Everybody, the, each little region had their own little dialect, have their own little languages. You know, remember, we moved from Antioch over in Syria, which spoke different languages than the Jews. And now we've gone to Crete, which spoke their own language and their own language. And so there was languages among all the people. But Koine Greek was the common. You can thank Alexander the Great for that. When he conquered everything, he spread Greek language, Greek culture everywhere. And so everybody, if you did business in the Roman Empire, in, in any way, shape, or form, you had to speak Greek. That was, that was just a fact. Even You can see it even in, uh, in the Gospels. When Jesus is crucified, they, uh, they put the, the sign above his head in, in three different languages, just so everybody, everybody would know. You know? And so if, if a Roman soldier, to say this way, if you were in Palestine and a Roman soldier said, give you a command, you better be able to understand what they're saying. And so uh, it was like a, it was a common language. It was the, the common language of all the people. So when they came, now Paul probably spoke Hebrew and Aramaic and, you know, or, and, and Greek, you know, he probably spoke Latin. He was trained in Tarsus, you know, so, you know, he probably spoke Latin too. Uh, so when he came, he was, he was speaking in the language that, that everybody could understand. But when they start talking in Lyconium, and Luke tells us that for a purpose, like they were speaking in the Lyconian tongue, and you can see that all this goes on before Paul and Barnabas really know what's going on. The first thing when they said when they said these guys are gods, Paul would have said, "Whoa!" But they just kind of it's almost like they let them go and get their oxen and come back and then they realize what's happening. But but the lame man heard the same message as the Lyconian. They they heard the same at the same time, correct? So the Yes. Okay. Well, that I mean that just goes to show the heart. The people that called them gods, they didn't, they didn't receive the message. They just saw a miracle. And, yes. And at that point, there was no conviction. The lame man had conviction, apparently, because of his faith, was healed or and believed and saved, you know. But these other people, there was nothing. I mean, it, they, they went right into what you and Eddie and... Johnny preach all the time. They went right into what they love. This is really cool. Now let's go do what we know to do and offer a sacrifice. Yeah, and that was Paul's point to him. He was when he when he started talking to him again. <clears throat> he said, "Look." Our message is for you to turn away from these vain things, for you to stop. And I mean, think about what he's doing. He's calling their religion, their culture, their God. Yeah. <laughs> he's calling it worthless. I mean, that's what vain means. He's calling it worthless. We're calling you to turn away from these worthless things, turn away from these vain things. And what do you expect is going to happen? Same thing that always happens. It says, uh, when they brought all this stuff, it says, why do you do these things? He says, we're, we're telling you to turn away from these vain things and preach unto you that you should... Uh, 
Turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven, earth, the sea, all the things therein. He says, we're telling you the true God. And he says, and this God, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own way. He said, he, he put up with, with y'all doing the worshiping Zeus and all this kind of stuff your own way. It says, nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Now, that goes back to exactly what we were saying before, doesn't it? God is good to the, you know, he reigns on the just and the unjust. These Zeus worshipers or whatever enjoyed the life. They enjoyed the sunshine. They enjoyed the rain. He, but understand that God was always, creation gives testimony that God is God and he is the one to be worshipped. And so Paul is... is um, He's preaching to them. They evidently are not getting the message, whether they're just rebelling against it or whether they're just ignorant of it. At this point, we don't really know. But after all this, and even after Paul explains it to them, it says at verse 18 says, And with these sayings, scarce restrain they the people that they had not done sacrificing them. He's saying, even after Paul said all this, I mean, they just barely got them to quit, you know. Even after Paul's, it says they scarce restrained them. They, 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 uh, with great difficulty, stopped them from sacrificing to them. Now, I don't. I bet it was a big temptation there, you know. For, I can imagine. I, I'm just uh, tickled because I'm thinking about me standing there preaching, and they said, "Whoa, this is a god," and I'm, and I'd be like. Yes, you may worship me. Bring me all your stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's a tendency. There's a tendency to make it all about me. You know, isn't it? Wow, he's a good preacher and he's a good whatever. You, man, you are just so good at what you do and blah blah blah. I mean, there's a tendency to. There's a tendency to get on that. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, there's a tendency. For 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 us to to put it just in your context would be to be a witness and to be yeah that's right I am pretty holy you know thank you thank you for the compliment yeah I, I do do pretty good for God you know I'm 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 the man I'm the man you know is a tendency even if you would never let that come out of your mouth because that just sounds pretentious but even if you'd never let it come out of your mouth you there's a tendency in your heart to think. Ah, at least I ain't like that person. I got it. I got it going on, and that kind of it kind of puffs us up. But Paul and Barnabas here weren't willing to sacrifice God's glory or the glory of Christ or whatever. They they just they refused to be high and lifted up. They refused to be exalted. They refused to be worshipped. They refused to even really to be good spoken of in a lot of things. Paul told Timothy, he said, "Look, I'm the chief of sinners. After all that he'd done, you know, after at the end of his life." At the all that he'd done, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And so they refused to be, they refused to accept all this. And they just barely, they just barely got them to quit. So these people weren't really listening to the gospel. And it says in verse 19, it says, and there, there came there, while this was going on, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch. Where's Antioch? That's the place they just left, right? The Jews followed them. The unbelieving ones followed them to stir up dissension. The ones that just stirred up and poisoned the mind of people in Antioch followed them to Iconium and started doing the same thing there. Who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he'd be dead. They got it. They finally got him stoned. They finally got him executed, they thought. And they, I don't know if you ever 
thought about what it's like to be stoned to death, but basically it's being beaten to death with rocks. I mean, they would throw rocks at you until you died. And evidently, they did a good job because they thought Paul was dead, and they drug him out of the city and left him for dead. Now, imagine, I don't know if, the other day I fell off the steps of my back porch, and my leg and my hip hurt for like two weeks. How do you think Paul felt after being beaten to, like, to the edge of death? And the dude, I, we're running out of time, but the dude got up and went right back into the city and then the next day walked 60 miles to another city. I mean, that's a bad dude. Uh, that's a bad dude. Now, if you the historical picture of Paul is like he's like a short, bow-legged, ball-headed guy. So he's not like he's not like Hercules or anything. But this guy's determined. I mean, he's determined. He says they they stoned him, drew him out of the city, left him for dead. And then it says, verse twenty. Howbeit the disciples stood around him. He rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to the Derby. I mean, he he was not deterred. He was not. He, he he kept on with the mission. He 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 went back into the same city that they had just thrown him out of, stoned and left for dead. He went back, and the very next day he walks sixty more miles to you know the journey to another city, and then finally. It says they preached and they preached there in Derby, and then it says, and when they had preached the gospel in that city, Derby, and, and had taught many, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, the three cities that they were stoned, persecuted, and run out of. They went back to the same three cities that they had just come out of, that they had bad experiences in, in all three cities. And look what they did there. It says they confirmed the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, that, and then that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. They had some experience in that tribulation, didn't they? Yep. They understood, look, through much suffering, much trial, much tribulation, you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, that's why I said to you, they, there was churches in those cities when they, they left them. They prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. They left them in God's hands. They fellowshiped. They fellowshiped with them. After they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia and they had preached the word in Perga. That's just talking about different cities that they went through. They went down into Italia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Where'd they go? This is back home. This is not to Pisidian Antioch. This is back to Syrian Antioch. Remember the difference between the two cities? This is They went back home. This is the church that they started off from. That They were first commended to the grace of God. They, it was the grace of God that sent them on this mission and they they went back to the they went back to their to their church and it says um, and then they sailed to Antioch and when they recommended for the work they had fulfilled and then when they were come and had gathered the church together they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and there they abode long time with the disciples so this idea remember I told you when they first left this idea that Paul and Barnabas were just wandering missionaries who didn't have a church home and they were just walking around planting churches it's not really accurate, is it? They left from their home church where they fellowshiped, where they taught, where they discipled. They went on this journey, however long it took, to all these different cities. When they got done, they went back to their home church and fellowship with their home disciples and, and continued, in, continued in the church. And so what you see as we wrap up, you see the, 
witness, the attributes of a witness for Christ are that one that's going to testify boldly in the face of, we talked about that, face of persecution and trial. Uh, you're going to be a witness. You're going to be a witness for Christ in the way that you live, the places that you go, everything, everything. There's no such thing. This person that this person that that says, I'm a Christian and I'm a believer, but I don't have fellowship with God's people and I don't have, uh, you know, that's that's something the Bible doesn't know anything about. That's a modern, that's a modern uh, creation so that people can feel better about themselves. Uh, it says they'll testify boldly to the grace of God. They are uh, wanting to glorify Christ rather than self. You know, they wouldn't let those folks worship them. Uh, they're remaining faithful. I mean, how, how faithful uh, that's pretty faithful to get stoned and left for dead and then continue on. You know, I don't know about you, but I, at least, at least I'm going to pout for three or four days. At least. You know, not to mention, say, you know, how many people come and say, well, I witnessed to this person and they don't, you know, they made fun of me, so I'm just going, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, you ain't really got stoned to death yet. I mean, you ain't, you ain't really been beaten left for dead, you know. And so Paul is beaten left for dead, goes back in the city and then returns to the three cities that he was chased out of before. Returns back to the same three cities that he'd been chased out of. And then finally, you see in this last, they went back to those cities in order to do one thing. They could have went straight home. They could have went straight home to Antioch, but they visited those cities in order to strengthen the brethren, to edify the brethren and to warn them that you're going to be, you know, it's going to be some tribulation as you enter the kingdom of God. And so, like we were talking about this morning, and then finally they returned to fellowship with their home church with their with their folks. So the same thing I said this morning, I'll say again, hey Miss Karen. <laughs> and so the same thing I'll say is the Bible does not speak of this Christianity today that you know, I don't have to have fellowship with Jesus' bride. You know, you've probably heard me say that before. If you come up and say, Jason, I love you, and I, I really want to I really want to get to know you, but I hate your wife, and so you need to keep her away from me. I'm, if I don't punch you in the mouth, I'm probably going to at least break fellowship with you. So, but people do it all day, all day long and twice on Sunday today where say, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate Jesus' wife. You know, I hate Jesus' bride. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't reconcile that with the Scripture. You know, I can I can see it in in mindset of people today, but I can't reconcile that with the Bible. All the yous, the promises of the Bible, the you, I'll give you and I'll be with you and uh, he will supply your every need. All those yous are plural. They're not singular. They're not meant for, uh, I mean, they are meant for individuals, of course. You can claim that promise, but the assumption is that it was written to the church in Ephesus or the church in Galatia, the church in or the Romans, the it was written to the to church, you know. And so, anyway, you got those things. Witness for Christ is one who's strengthening the brethren, fellowship with the brethren. It's one that doesn't, doesn't back off when things aren't going good. And it's one that doesn't seek glory for himself. You see those things in the text that we read? Is there any questions, comments? Nothing? Okay. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your word. We just ask that you'd be with us today as we go into service.